Be sure to look at everything on our e-bulletin. Uh, I hope you're getting that. If you don't, download it on your phone, on your tablets, and in our website, uh, calvarychapelgreeley.org, as we have all the information. So it's, uh, again, uh, we're just going to move forward and do the best that we can. And it's good for us to be together as we are going to now study God's word. So let's go into Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. And the other thing I wanted to let you know is we're going to try to keep services in an hour because I know particularly at this service it gets a little bit hotter. It gets really hot uh, against that building uh, when you're standing there. So um, it's nice to have a little breeze, but we'll try to keep service in an hour. And again, if you feel like you need to go inside, please feel free to do that. It is available. But in Matthew chapter 6, remember that Jesus is the beginning of his ministry. And as he began his ministry in the Galilee region, that there were multitudes, thousands of people on any given day that were coming into the Galilee region. And he was healing them as we end the chapter four of every kind of sickness and disease and freeing the demoniacs. As he looked at the multitudes, he then would go up on a mountain, the Sea of Galilee, where uh, he's spending most of his uh, time there in Capernaum, nestled on the north shores of the Sea of Galilee. It's in a bowl. So he goes up on a mountain and his disciples come to him and he began to teach them. And as he's teaching, the multitudes are going to begin to make their way up to Jesus because this sermon here, the Sermon on the Mount, which uh, includes chapters 5, 6, and 7 of Matthew, at the end of the sermon, it says that the multitudes marveled at his teaching as one teaching with authority. So they're making their way up the mountain, and Jesus begins with the Beatitudes. Oh, how happy, how blessed are those who are poor in spirit, who mourn, who uh, are meek, who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And the blessing comes because yours is the kingdom of heaven, and you're going to be comforted, and you're going to inherit the earth, and you're going to be uh, filled. And we know that Jesus here is, he says, blessed, how happy, how you can have true satisfaction and fulfillment in life is knowing the Lord, having a relationship with him. Because as Jesus continues the sermon, he says, I didn't come to abolish the law and the prophets. I came to fulfill it. And as he fulfilled it by living a life perfectly, he fulfilled it by dying for our sins as he took the place for you and for me, dying on the cross for us, as all of our sins were placed upon him and he would cry out, it is finished. He made atonement for our sins and then he fulfills it by living in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And as we go through this sermon, Jesus said that your righteousness must exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. And the disciples hearing that and the multitudes hearing that, they, I'm sure, were taken back by it because they would say, who can be more righteous than a Pharisee or a Sadducee? And as they heard that, they must be wondering, you know, how can we be more righteous? Well, Jesus begins to tell them and tell us how we can do that because it's not about being religious, the external. They wore their phylacteries, the religious leaders. They, they did the long prayers. They gave of everything. Uh, they fasted twice a week. They knew every jot and tittle of the law. Uh, they were dedicated to keeping of the law. But Jesus would say that your righteousness must exceed them because it's a heart issue. There's a problem with the heart. 
And that's the issue with the heart. And that is what the Sermon on the Mount is showing us, that we need relationship with Jesus Christ, that he's the one that enables us as we submit our lives to him, as we are born again by the Spirit of God, that will help us to, to live the Sermon on the Mount. Because Jesus is talking about what is your heart, the internal. It Murder begins in the heart. Adultery begins in the heart. That you are to be one to go the extra mile and you're to love your enemies and you're to pray for those who despise you and come against you. How can we do that without the Holy Spirit working in our hearts and in our lives? So Jesus, given this teaching, and, and he continues as we're in the heart of this sermon in chapter 6, let's begin to read in verse 1, that take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound the trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may have glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you that they have their reward. So when you give, when you serve, uh, make sure that your motive is not prompted by the desire to be recognized and praised by people. Now, the Bible tells us in the New Testament, and it is kind of interesting that a lot of Christians don't realize this, that we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And the Greek is the Bema reward seat of Jesus Christ. Perhaps you're familiar with the teaching of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Romans chapter 14, that we will stand before the judgment seat of Christ, the Bema reward seat of Christ, not to be judged for our sins because Jesus took that judgment upon the cross of Calvary. But we are going to receive the things that we have done in the body, whether good or bad. In other words, the New Testament talks about, and Jesus himself, about rewards to be given, what we have done for him in this life. And we are to desire to receive those rewards, to desire to please the Lord with our lives and the things that we do. And, and we know that 1 Corinthians chapter 3 declares that all of our works are going to be tried by fire. And the things that are not pleasing to the Lord, we did to exalt ourselves or the wrong motives, that's like wood, hay, and stubble, and that will instantly burn up when we see the Lord and those eyes of flames that John describes in the book of Revelation, seeing the glorified Lord. To be absent from the body, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, is to be present with the Lord. And when we see him, when we take our last breath and, and have our last beat of our heart, to go home to be with him, we're going to see him, and he's going to look at us with those eyes of flames, those, those eyes uh, of love, and everything that's unlike him are going to instantly burn up. And then the things that are of God are going to shine forth like precious metals. And he has rewards to give to us. To give us crowns that are spoken of in the New Testament. But the works that I did, if I desire to do them for the applause of man, the implication here is that that applause... That's going to be a reward. That's what Jesus says in verse 2. We don't want to exalt ourselves. We don't want to be the subject of praise. We don't want to blow the trumpet before us. And, and here he says, don't do that as the hypocrite does. The word hypocrite, as you know, means an actor under an assumed character. It means a mask wearer. Where uh, the Greek actors, you know, in, in the theaters, they wore masks. That's where we get the, the phrase two-faced. 
Now in Jesus' day, there was an area in the temple courtyard where people would go and there was a box there that they could give their offerings. And what the Pharisee would do is they would, in their giving, would have those who would go before them and they themselves would literally have those people blow the horn when they were ready to give. And the people would say that. It was a big show. And they would do it in the synagogue as well, as Jesus indicated what we read here in verse 2. And they would make a big show of their giving. And the people would say, look at the Pharisee. Look at that religious man. He's so spiritual. He's so religious. And they would applaud and ah and ooh and all of this. And here Jesus says, don't do that. And he's given clear indication that their hearts were not right. He says, don't be like the hypocrite. And as we read this, how is it that we are to give? Well, we know that the New Testament talks about that the attitude of our heart needs to be right. And that is anything that we do for the Lord is because of our love for him. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. We are going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. But also we know that Paul writes that it's the love of Christ that constrains us or motivates us. Anything that we do for the Lord in our giving financially, in our giving in our service to Him, in our giving of praise and our devotion to Him is because of our love for Him. We desire to please him. Lord, I just love you. And that's what pleases the Lord. And the Apostle Paul, as he's writing to the Corinthian church, goes on to say in that epistle of 2 Corinthians, in chapter 9, that God loves a cheerful giver. That we are to give freely. We are to give willingly, cheerfully. And as we continue in chapter 6 of Matthew, verse 3, But when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your charitable deed may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will himself reward you openly. So what does it mean, uh, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing? He is not saying that we are to be ignorant about our giving. But what the Lord is saying is don't make a big show of your giving. With one hand, you're reaching in your pocket to give. And then with the other hand, you're lifting it up to blow your trumpet. But when you give, notice that Jesus did not say, if you give. He says, when you give. And we know that as we go through all of Scripture, that the Scripture talks about giving. That we are to give to Him. We are to invest in the kingdom. What we're going to see later in this sermon, that it is going to be Jesus that says, store up your treasures in heaven. In other words, invest in the kingdom of God. If you were here last week, we stopped our study in Matthew, and I was doing a, a special message from Philippians chapter 1. When Paul wrote that letter to the Philippian believers, one of the reasons that he wrote that letter was because he was thanking them for their giving to him financially and, and their support of him. And Paul, when he thanks them, he says that the fruit that abounds, you know, in, in my ministry that comes forth for the furtherance of the gospel then is accounted to your account, your spiritual account. In other words, all of us, in a sense, we got a spiritual account that we are to invest in the kingdom of God. We are to send it ahead. Jesus will talk more about it next time. Store up your treasures in heaven. And we are to invest in the kingdom of God. But when we give, we are to give out of a heart of love. 
We want to see the furtherance of the gospel. We are to give humbly and freely and quietly where we don't get the praise of men. And God sees and he will reward us and it will be a reward that will last for all eternity. You know, investing in the kingdom, the returns are out of this world. <laughs> the best returns that you can get because they will be for all eternity. And I do want to say this, that I am very thankful for your giving. And especially during this time where we didn't have in-person service, that you continue to give. You continue to support the ministry so we can do radio, so we can get the gospel out, continue to minister in this community to those who have need. And this is a time for us to be ones investing in the kingdom of God because the Lord's coming back. And this world is a mess. And we want to do everything that we can to get the gospel out. That is the hope of our community, of our state, of our nation, of the world. The gospel. The furtherance of the gospel. And I believe the Lord's coming back soon to where we need to be about the king's business. To be investing in the things of the Lord. So I thank you for your giving. And then it continues. And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the street. That they may be seen by men. As surely I say to you that they have their reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room. And when you have shut your door, pray to your father who is in the secret place. And your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Again, the Pharisees, uh, wanting to receive praise from men, would pray three times a day. They would pray at 9 o'clock, at noon, and at 3 o'clock. Now, there's nothing wrong with praying at 9 o'clock, noon, 3 o'clock. It's a good thing to do. Matter of fact, David, the psalmist of Israel, that he would uh, call on the Lord, as he writes, uh, evening, morning, and at noon. He, he writes that I will... Pray and cry aloud, and he shall hear my voice. So David was one that he practiced praying three times a day. But the problem was this, that the Pharisee would position themselves on the street corner at those times, and they would stop. It's 9 o'clock, it's noon, it's 3 o'clock. And they would put on their prayer shawls, and they would pray in a manner that would really draw attention to themselves. And the people would say, oh, look at... at the spiritual Pharisee, or they would stand up in the synagogue and draw attention to themselves, trying to impress others. So that became the focus. It wasn't on the Lord. Now, this is not a verse saying that we shouldn't pray together, that you can't pray in a group, that you can't pray with somebody else, or we can't pray together corporately. We know that there's many examples all throughout the scripture where the Christians came together or God's people came together and they prayed corporately. And there's power in prayer. And we need to be praying together more than ever in the days in which we are in. And we can come together in humility seeking the Lord and it is very powerful. So our motivation, again, in the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus is talking about the heart, the internal condition of our hearts, our motivation in prayer. Now, I do believe that it is important for us to get away and spend time with the Lord, especially now. And sometimes it's hard when we're going through the trials and the difficulties and the challenges of life. But we need to get away in a quiet place. And we need to be praying. And we need to be praying for others. 
and praying for our families and praying for you know, our brethren and, and for our community, for our nation. There's reward for praying. Isn't, isn't it interesting that Jesus writes that and, and says that as we read it in verse 6, that your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Sometimes people say, my, my service to the Lord is limited. Or right now we got people online listening, and, and I'm so glad they join us. They, they can't come out right now, or they're not ready to come out. And we think, I'm so limited in what I can do for the Lord. Something that all of us can do and any of us can do is pray. And that is of priority. That is of, of, of importance. I covet your prayers. And as you pray, the Lord says that he will reward. He will reward. The Father will reward you um, openly. In verse 7, and when you pray, do not use vain repetition as the heathen do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask Him. So what these verses do is they really free me up. They just really free me up to be able to pray simply, freely, with my heart. It isn't how you know, articulate I am, or how smooth I am, or, you know, using, you know, uh, certain words or whatever it is, but to be able to just simply pray with my heart, and I, I don't, you know, have to be worried about how long it is, or using many words, or whatever, as Jesus said. Now, if you have a long prayer to the Lord, and there have been times where I've just prayed to the Lord, and it seems like it's gone on and on because I'm pouring my heart out to the Lord. You know how that is. And long prayers are okay. But it's not the length of the prayer that makes it valid. It's the position of your heart that impresses God, that touches the heart of God. Not just vain repetition is what Jesus is saying and, and using many words and, and God goes ooh and uh, trying to be very elaborate. I love being with a group of men when they pray and they're just praying and just kind of trying to express the words. I like that because they're praying with their hearts, what's on their hearts. It is interesting that most of the prayers recorded in scripture are relatively short. They're articulate, but you sense the prayers of the saints that they come from the heart. It isn't just filling up a bunch of, of uh, time with vain repetition to where you're not even thinking about it. I grew up to where that's the way it was, you know? I grew up to and so you have to do 10 Our Fathers, Our Father, Our in Heaven, how do you be that in the kingdom come? You know, it, that was it for me. And, and it was meaningless repetition. The scripture does not forbid, listen, meaningful repetition. Sometimes, and you know how this is, that I'm praying for the same things, for that same person, for that same situation, same families, my family, whatever it may be, over and over again. And I'm praying it over and over again because I know that the scripture talks about being persistent in prayer. And I know that it's on my heart. Jesus in the garden, we will see later in the garden of Gethsemane, making the same request three times. Matthew writes in chapter 26, and Jesus spoke the same words yet again. So this is speaking about vain repetition, thinking that somehow God desires that. 
Uh, in verse 9, in this manner, therefore pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now we know as we're going to enter in what is known as the Lord's Prayer. I think we're all familiar with it. And it's interesting, Matthew doesn't record it, but it was the disciples that came to Jesus and said, Lord, teach us to pray. And I think that they asked Jesus that because Jesus was one that prayed. That was a, a, a huge part of his ministry of his life, going to that quiet place and praying and seeking his Father. And they saw that. So they came to Jesus and said, teach us to pray. They did not come to Jesus and say, teach us to do miracles. They didn't come to him and say, teach us to, to give a powerful sermon or how we can draw the crowds in. They came and said, teach us to pray. So Jesus says in this manner, verse 9, therefore pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now in this Lord's Prayer, it's a model for us in prayer, not some mantra to be repeated over and over again. So Jesus gives us a model for prayer for us to follow. And prayer is, first of all, as he says, pray in this way, this manner, our Father in heaven. Prayer is always dependent on relationship. And this prayer, uh, you know, opens with the expression of relationship, our Father. Now, any scribe or Pharisee or religious leader of the land at this time, hearing Jesus say, pray in this manner, our Father, they, they must have been absolutely just floored by hearing that because the religious leaders that they didn't dare even speak the name of the Lord. That when Moses was there on the mountain and he said to the Lord at the burning bush there, he said, what is your name that can tell the people what your name is? And the Lord answered, I am that I am. Tell them that I am has sent you, which is very significant by the way, because you go to John's gospel and what does Jesus say? That I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the bread of life. That I am the vine. I am the door. Uh, he gives these statements of deity. And, and as the Lord said, my name is I am. They would translate it Yahweh, W-H-Y-H. Uh, and they didn't make it with any vowels. Um, they made it unpronounceable, uh, Y-H-W-H, to where Jehovah. They wouldn't even dare speak the name. They just said the name, the religious leaders. And here comes Jesus, and he begins to say, my father. And they, they would be taken back by that. And now you can pray in this manner, our father. When Paul was writing to the Ephesian church, he writes, uh, at the time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope, and without God in the world, but now in Christ Jesus, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Jesus. And then in Galatians, to the Galatian churches, God sent forth his son to redeem those under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons, because you are sons, God sent forth the spirit of a son into your hearts crying out, Abba, Father, which literally means Papa. Romans chapter 8, we don't have the spirit of fear, but the spirit of adoption that we can cry out, Abba, Father. And we who are believers in Jesus Christ are the only ones that can truly cry out, Papa, 
We have relationship with God. And Jesus came and died on the cross and he rose again that we might be forgiven of sin, that we might have relationship with the Father that only comes through him because he declared, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So our relationship with him is based on our faith in Jesus Christ. And it's wonderful that we have relationship with the Father through Jesus. So we can pray, Our Father, hallowed be your name, which means your name is holy, pure. You, Father, are absolutely holy, absolutely pure. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. As a child of God, I can pray to my Father. I want to be in harmony with God's purposes, his will for me. I'm not just living for myself. I'm not making demands on God. So much of the word faith movement is about that. Getting God to, to do what you demand him and what you claim and what you speak. If you just have enough faith and release that faith and you can, you know, get whatever it is that you want. And like God is some kind of celestial Santa Claus. He is God. He's the creator and he knows what is best for us. And it doesn't mean that we can't make requests. We are told that we are to make requests. We are to give him our supplications with thanksgiving. We are to tell him our desires. But we trust God. And if he says no or takes us another direction or says wait, uh, not my will, but your will be done, Father. That is the prayer of faith. Trusting God that he will do what is best for us in our lives. And that he will bless us, however, whenever. Your will be done. And give us this day our daily bread. Uh, I remember when I was a young Christian, it kind of took me for Luke. Somebody said, oh, you're just a Christian because you're weak. Because you're needy. I've come to realize that I am weak. You know, over the last few months, I found myself being weak. At times, I just wanted to crawl under a big rock. But in my weakness, he makes me strong. Amen? And I am needy. I need to be forgiven. And the greatest need of anyone is to be forgiven of Jesus Christ and to come to him and to surrender your life to him. That is our need for every man and every woman. And I am dependent on him. And my father cares about my needs. And he says, you pray for your daily bread. Later, he's going to say in this chapter, don't worry about tomorrow. He wants us to come to him day by day. Lord, provide for me. And in many of us, that has been our cry more than ever over the last few weeks, couple of months. Give us this day our daily bread. Lord, how am I going to provide? How am I going to pay the bills? He cares about our needs. He promises to supply our needs in Christ Jesus. And he wants us to be praying for that. And forgive us our debts as we forgive debtors, verse 12. In verses 14 and 15, Jesus will talk more about forgiveness and we'll end there. But in verse 13, and do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. I, I need the Lord's provision. That is praying for daily bread. And I need your protection. Protect me from the evil one who tempts us. Now again, to remind you, as we discussed in chapter 4, at the temptation of Jesus, that 
James, he writes that, let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. Satan, he's an awful reality, and he is stirring things up big time in the world today. And he will come to you and to me and try to draw us away from God's will, from God's provision from God's promises, as we saw with Jesus in that temptation of Matthew 4. We recognize, I need you, Lord. I need to be abiding in you and abiding in your word. And then the prayer ends with the recognition that, Father, you are all-powerful. All glory is yours, Lord, for all eternity. And then verses 14 and 15, For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Haven't been forgiven, listen, just a couple more minutes. We are to forgive. That is a commandment that we see throughout the New Testament. Paul writing in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32, that we are to be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Now, a Christian's forgiveness, listen, is not based on us forgiving others. It's based on the blood of Jesus Christ. We've received his mercy and his grace freely. But realizing that we have been forgiven God has done that for us. He isn't angry and bitter towards us. And on the basis of God's forgiveness of us, we are then, the imperative is given that we are to forgive others. This is a commandment. This is not a suggestion. And I understand that it can be one of the hardest things that God has called us to do. Because there have been people here today that they've been cut deep. They've been hurt badly. And they're thinking, how can I forgive that person? And we cannot do it in our own flesh, our own energy. Just like I can't love my enemies. I can't pray for those who spitefully use me and come against me. To forgive that person, listen, in my years of ministry, I have had those who have come along and hurt me deeply, have come against my family, and I've had to go to the Lord and say, Lord, I want to forgive them. Help me, because I can't do it in my own energy. I can't do it in my own flesh. And to do it day by day, bit by bit, over and over again. And it begins to work in you. And listen, forgiving somebody doesn't mean that relationships are going to be restored automatically. I need to keep separated from them because they're going to continue to hurt me if I don't. It doesn't mean that you overlook what they did to you, but it is saying, Lord, you have forgiven me and you've called me to forgive others. And I am not going to let that person have power over me. And I don't want my heart to be full of bitterness and anger. And I've seen Christians that refuse to forgive and that bitterness and that anger grows like cancer in their heart and it takes root there like Hebrews talks about but to say I choose to forgive is saying that I'm going to forgive and I'm going to move forward and Lord I can't do it in my own energy but I have seen relationships in families and amongst friends and in situations that went from bad to worse because of unforgiveness. And maybe the Lord is speaking to you. 
And it isn't like, oh, I forgive, and, and that's it. But for you to say, Lord, in the honesty of my heart, and that's all he wants is the honesty of our hearts to go to him and say, Lord, help me to forgive. Because I don't want to be full of bitterness and anger. I don't want that situation or that person to continue to, to hold me in bondage because of unforgiveness or have power over me. I choose to forgive and to move forward, to move ahead, and to keep looking to you, to your love. Father, we thank you so much. These sayings here are, are difficult, but Lord, we know that we can't do it without you. So I do pray that as we finish here this morning, that you would help us to live a life for you, Lord. The heart, our hearts need to be in tune with you, abiding with you, Lord. Because I know I fall so short of these things. I fall short of loving my enemy and praying for those who come against me, going the extra mile. Be perfect like your Father in heaven is perfect. I'm so far from that, Lord. And I thank you for your grace and forgiveness to forgive when I've been hurt. But Lord, help me. A supernatural work of the Holy Spirit in my heart and in my life. I just want to pray for anyone who's here or listening online or later that you've never come to Christ. See, there's a lot of people that say, I agree with the sayings of the Sermon on the Mount. The whole purpose is that we need Jesus. He's the one that fulfilled the law by going to the cross and dying for our sins. And the greatest need of any of us is to be forgiven. He is our salvation. He's our hope. He is the one that is the truth, the way, the life. And he's given the invitation for you if you've never come to him in faith and recognize your need to be forgiven. You can do that right now as you listen. To come as you are and say, I repent, I turn direction, and I turn to you, Jesus. Forgive me. I believe you rose from the grave. I confess I am a sinner, and you're my salvation. I ask that you sit upon the throne of my heart, my life, as my personal Lord and Savior. And I thank you that now, as you've brought me into the family of God, that I can cry out, Abba, Father. I thank you for conquering sin and death. And I want to know you and walk with you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name. And listen, if anybody that's here, you prayed that prayer. As we close here, come up on the deck. I want to pray with you. But for all of us, if you just need prayer, come up. I want to pray with you. And, and you know, you just, I need prayer for this. I, I have needs. And we want to be available to do that. So come up and pray. But Lord, I pray right now as we close that you bless everyone. Keep everyone safe. And Lord, help us to keep our eyes on you, especially when all the stuff going on around us. We do pray for our nation. We pray for our community, our state. And all the things that are taking place, we want to look at it through the lens of your word and to know that a, a better kingdom is coming, the kingdom of God. And the gospel is the answer, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Bless everyone here now as we go our way. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We're going to close in song. Um, and you're welcome to come up if you need prayer. God bless you. Wednesday night, 7 o'clock, the book of Jeremiah. Sign up uh, for any volunteer, youth. Uh, 
retreat all that at the table. Barbara will be there. God bless you. Good to see you. Keep coming out, guys. Keep coming out. Let's keep, you know, being salt and light in this world. Let's sing, oh, praise the name. Oh, praise the name of the Have a wonderful rest of your week.